Bits. Faith over breakfast. This is Sam and Betsy. Uh, <laughs> some people call me. I'm mostly the host, less of an airman. And I am with Pastor Andy Littleton, Hello. Pastor Eric Seepin, no, and a very special guest. You went first what? this time. You usually do me first, but now. I know, right. but I, th- there's good. a reason why, because I wanted you to introduce our guest uh, today because he is your friend. So. No, and in fact, I think if he had listened to the last podcast. Which he didn't. He would know that he was one of my good friends, maybe, you know, bordering on a lifelong friend. I mean, we don't know, because I don't know how long his life is. <laughs> so anyway, his name is Michael Kuzno, and I've known Michael for a very, very long time. Yeah. How, how long? Yeah, uh, well, it, more like something like 15 years now. Yeah. And we live across the street from each other. And we're in each other's houses at least once a week. My kid is at your house a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she either house sits or is at Bible studies or things you Your do. other kid loves to come watch my, uh, you know, premium channel. He TV. does, or try to talk <laughs> you into paying him to pull the weeds yeah. out of your front yard. <laughs> right. <laughs> things like that. Yeah. But yeah. the reason that Michael's on this podcast is that he has two degrees in philosophy. Whoa. And uh, he loves to talk about ideas. I think that's one of the big things you like, right? Yes, uh, sure. (laughs) So right now we're waiting for Michael's uh, chai tea, which I suspect is just about ready to be done. Yeah, I can go ahead and loosen his lips. That'll loosen his lips, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But before we do any of that, I just want to say that we're up to 49 listeners. Stop. But more importantly, I think that like over 100 podcasts are listened to in the last... 10 days something wow. like that so yeah I want to I want to say thanks to folks who've been listening I heard from somebody that you know we haven't have we gotten any emails at faithoverbreakfast at gmail.com plug plug uh, I have not seen any emails uh, but I also have not looked at the email oh, since don't, don't tell them that don't tell them that <laughs> we yeah we'll, we'll get back to you real soon well, I mean, you know. Since yesterday. Oh, since yesterday. <laughs> so if you don't want. <laughs> we got a lot of Squarespace uh, emails. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm working on that. So mm-hmm. we do have a website coming up. Uh, it will be available very, very soon, as soon as I uh, get paid oh. and buy the tag. <laughs> the tag. So, uh, but it will be faithoverbreakfast.com. Made really, really easy. Got the dot com. Yep, got that dot com. Well, we we did get a, I got a Facebook message. Somebody was listening, and they were, you know, they kind of wanted to just follow up, perhaps, in the future, so Caleb, thanks for reaching out, man, and it was good to, just to hear that somebody was listening in and, uh, you know, willing to check in with us and contact and follow up, so that's, that's exciting, and, um, yeah, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a website, we're gonna have pictures yeah. and everything, and this is getting to be... This, is, this might be the biggest thing we've ever done in yeah, our I'm lives. Going, I'm going to uh, take some uh, photos of uh, our wonderful pastors uh, here pretty soon uh, in, uh, in the downtown area and uh, possibly even at EXO mm. and have mm-hmm. it on the website so you can get uh, an accurate view. I mean, all our Japan viewers, right. uh, they already know what they look like. But if You, you don't know what Eric Seepin looks like. Exactly. If, if you're in Japan... You don't know what Eric Seepin looks like. I'm just, I'm just letting you know. Like, you, you know, you, you watch TV. There's people in America. Eric Seepin breaks the mold, my friends. You gotta see it to believe it. Yeah, and it's the a bandanas. The bandanas are different colored every day. Yep, and it's amazing. And I guess they had bandana day at church. Eric has left us, which he does from time to time. Um, He's getting my chai. Tea. Getting that chai tea. He's getting the chai tea. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, Eric. Eric is a bandana man, and it's a beautiful thing. How'd you get to know Eric? How did um, you meet him? So I moved to town to go to the University of Arizona, uh-huh. um, and the church at the time was meeting fairly close to the university. Is this when he was at the Muse? Uh, no, a little bit later than that, but I knew a girl named Hannah who had come to the university to work with the navigators on campus, Yeah, and she knew my... Me and my very good friend and, and housemate, roommate, uh, Ron, and she invited us both to come to check out the church. Nice. And, uh, and we did. Loved it. Uh, we still continued for a little while to go check out other churches in the morning since the village meets at night. Yeah. And then eventually we, we were like, why are we, why are we doing that? Yeah. 
because we don't like any of these other churches <laughs> and we have to get up in the morning to do it so like why are we getting up in the morning to do something what? we're not enjoying was there something about like morning church that just seemed more like oh i gotta find one of those i'll go to this night church in the meantime but I yeah got, yeah we something have that. Like that right yeah. so both of our churches meet at night so we yeah we haven't mentioned on this podcast so eric's church is the village and it's two on two this week because normally it's like two on one mission mm-hmm. mission church in Tucson. It was three Tucson. on one last week. Let's it was it was three on one last we week. We should move this mic though. Oh, okay. Good call. But um, yeah. Anyway, it's two on two this week. So we're Brian and I. We go to mission church, um, and so anyway, both of our churches meet in the evening, and we 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 get that a lot. We've got people who are like, "Hey, man, like you know, I'm looking at churches in the morning, but I come over here at night and." Uh, and maybe maybe all of them one day will go. Wait, why do I wake up early when I don't have to, and I and I have a great church at night? Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. I, I think more than one person at the village has kind of done that. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And isn't it? I mean, I think night church is. It's just been the best thing ever. I, I agree. I'm not a morning person, so yeah. I mean, it's actually pretty impressive. I'm on this podcast right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't even tell him I was going to get him breakfast. He just figured he's a guest. He has, he has expectations. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Anyway, so so uh, so multiple degrees, both in philosophy. Yeah. Or? So I did my undergraduate um, and my bachelor's degree at the University of Arizona in philosophy, yeah. um, and then. Uh, immediately after that, I went to try to do a PhD program at the University of Colorado at Boulder. Yeah. Um, I didn't end up finishing that PhD, but I did finish with a master's degree in philosophy from the University of, of Colorado. Yeah. And did you always know? I, I used to work with students, and there's somewhere like there's there's a guy he's coming into town soon. I can't wait to see him. But he he went into philosophy, and, I, and it's like I knew he would. I knew it was going to happen. So when you were younger, I mean, was this just how your brain? Definitely, but I had no idea what philosophy was. My parents had no idea what philosophy was. They're 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 very smart people, but they're not really intellectuals. Um, and I always have been, and it must have annoyed them to no degree all the time. They're just my bent, the kind of questions I ask, what I get interested in, the kind of arguments I want to you know provoke at the dinner table, um, <laughs> stuff like that. But. Um, I, I had no idea what philosophy really was as a subject, as a discipline, uh, as an area of study until even way later after I had started college, after high school. Yeah. I actually started my college career studying computer engineering. Okay. Which I hated and I was terrible <laughs> at. Because <laughs> you would ask your deep questions and and the computer would just come back with, yeah. with error, fatal right, error. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, electronic noise. Yeah. Right. No, I mean... Uh, I have some friends that did finish with computer engineering. It's a very awesome field in a lot of ways. I just was not particularly good at it, and I didn't enjoy it. Um, and so I actually dropped out of college um, with no intention of ever going back. And But I had taken, at that point, my first philosophy class, and so I was still very interested in philosophy. So I went and studied philosophy outside of the university system for a while. Until I got to the point where I was convinced that God was actually calling me to go actually study philosophy and, and get a degree in it. Yeah. Uh, and so I started out at Cal Poly University in California where I met uh, my roommate and the person who invited me to the village. And so there's a whole lot of connection between San Luis Obispo, California and the village. Which, <laughs> it's huge. Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah, I mean, huge for the size of our church. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Surprising right. our listener base in yeah, San Luis Obispo isn't a little higher. I know we need to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it might not be, but since Michael is on the podcast, well, we're all here in Tucson now. Is yes, pretty much what happened, true. right? Yeah. yeah, get everybody to move away Tucson, from the beautiful, or Japan. But highly expensive, yeah. highly expensive. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I mean, it, I have to say it was a little disappointing moving to Tucson after San Luis Obispo. Um, but isn't it great when the washes are running? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like the ocean, right? Uh, basically. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I love the village, and I love being here in Tucson uh, because of the people I know, like Eric, um, yeah. and, and it's what brought me back after going up to Boulder, Colorado, which is yeah. another absolutely beautiful, oh, way too expensive place to live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. man. 
for our listeners in Japan and elsewhere, a wash. That was something I just said. What that is, <laughs> you may have heard of rivers. I'm sure many of you have them, and water runs through them on a regular basis. Um, here in Tucson, Arizona, the rivers have nothing in them 95% of the time. Yeah, they're just they're just empty. And you go, oh, it's, it's, it's a drainage ditch, right? And then all of a sudden, and usually in the summer, we get these huge rains, and then we have raging brown rivers. And a uh, little-known fact, but one time an artist uh, here in Tucson wanted to make a monument to our, our water, our drainage systems. And so he made some large pipes with brown water, uh, a sculpture, brown water coming out of them. But you can imagine that pipes with brown water coming out of them might resemble something else. <laughs> um, yeah, the old P-double-O-P. And so people weren't, <laughs> people were so thrilled, and so the monument was taken down. Anyway, Tucson facts for you out there in Japan and wherever else you're listening. It's, a, it's an interesting place to live. <laughs> There's lots of terrible statues on the U of A campus. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, lots of <laughs> yeah t- Tucson has got to be known for its terrible statue, yeah, statue collection. <laughs> it, well, if, if it, it is now. <laughs> it is now, yeah, we have, 40, we have 49 this, listeners. Right, there are now almost 50 people that are going to associate <laughs> Oh, man. Well, we should probably get serious about actually talking okay. about philosophy. <laughs> but, but I thought maybe you could start a little bit in talking to us about just how you see what you've learned and, you know, kind of your degree, how it's impacted the way you do ministry, the way you deal with people, like especially in this world of, where truth seems to be relative, and, or at least people feel like it's relative, and don't know how to deal with that. Right. Um, so, Eric and I actually were talking about this a couple days after church service, a couple days ago. Um, and so I was saying, I'm just not intimidated anymore by a lot of different beliefs and belief systems, because I'm already sort of familiar with them or something like them anyway or the pretty typical moves logical moves belief moves that people will make um, with regard to different beliefs whether it comes to relativism or anything else and uh, I'm just not scared of it anymore or I'm not particularly scared that I'll say the wrong thing or that I won't have the right answer Um, because in many ways I, I do I'm familiar with a lot of the responses um and a lot of the kind of logical consequences of holding a particular belief. Um, But also, I think it gives me a kind of... I was talking to my wife about this last night. I think it kind of... People in philosophy, I feel like, go one of two ways. They become, like, bigger jerks and, like, more arrogant, or they become kind of more humble the more they learn. Um, And fortunately for me, I became more humble about... (laughs) all the different things. So I know a bunch of stuff about philosophy, the history of philosophy, all these different ideas. Um, but I've come to realize some of the smartest people in the whole history of the entire world, like all, you take all of the humans that have ever existed and they're like at the top of smart people, um, have thought these different things. And so even when I disagree with them, I have a tremendous amount of respect for what they've come up with. And even if they're wrong, you, you can't just be a, a dismissive, arrogant jerk about it. Uh, or you shouldn't be, anyway. Plenty of philosophers are, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. How, how could you possibly publish in this field without thinking that like you've got it right and everybody else for the whole right. history of time has got it wrong? Yeah. Um, yeah and probably pride why, could follow that right, thought. Yeah. Big reason why I didn't continue with the PhD. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, you said an interesting thing about, you know, you're not afraid anymore, but what used to make you afraid and what do you think makes other people afraid to engage with this stuff yeah so I think a lot of us have a fear when we engage in conversations with people we disagree with uh, that we're we're going to say the wrong thing and it's going to hurt our friendship or um, we won't have it right and we really need to have it right in order to start the conversation like I need to have the answer and be able to like knock down his argument you know and win the, right. you know, win the point. You know, it's kind of like conversation as a sporting event or something <laughs> like, or combat. Um, and I've just done enough of that <clears throat> now that I've kind of seen how it gone has gone, and I know so much about the conversation topics 
that um, I'm just not as worried that any of that will disrupt my friendships or that um, that it has to be the last or only thing that's ever talked about so um, yeah just much more conf- confident but also just comfortable with the messiness and the, the potential for disagreement and just recognizing that disagreement's not dis- disagreement can be held with somebody that you also are good friends with at oh, the yeah. same time now so the, we were, we've been talking on the podcast lately about both of our churches and there's a younger population at the moment I, I mean ours mission church even younger than the village but still we have we have a lot of Gen X millennials you, village has a ton of kids um, and so I would assume that some of the people listening are, are younger so as you're engaging with folks these days like what are the Let's let's say in the church, like what are the prevalent assumptions that people are making, whether they know it or not, that you notice, having had this background and learning what you have. Now, yeah. what do people assume? Um, I don't know that a lot of people. I don't know if it's really all that different than when I was growing up, um, and I don't know if it's been. I mean, I wasn't alive before, you know, before the early 80s to know really what life and culture and what people were talking about as young people was before that. But um, I, I think it's pretty typical for people to think that kind of everyone has their opinion and everybody's opinion is just as good as anybody else's and uh, everybody's opinion is just about as close to the truth as anyone else's and so... You have your opinion, I have mine, and that's and there's nothing more to say about that, right? Right. Um, so it's a it's a it's a kind of relativism that's pretty pessimistic about moving forward towards truth any more than like where we already are, um, and that plays into kind of a teenage attitude of it's kind of angsty and cynical. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people have it, and it's really easy to use it kind of to deflect serious conversations right like if I'm starting to feel uncomfortable I'll be like oh well that's your opinion and I have my opinion and, and that means uh, conversation over I'm getting uncomfortable basically yeah. yeah how do you like you talk well, we've talked a lot about how our culture says it's hard to know things it's hard to know truth it's hard yeah. to know the, the process of knowing things and so that's part of that dismissive part but what kind of in our conversations in the past and it's helped me change some of my thinking or at least be able to dialogue with that better is the way that you understand truth and how someone can make true statements yeah well I think I think people are right that knowledge is very hard to achieve um, it is difficult and then part of the dismissive attitude that's so uh, satisfying is that you're like this is this really difficult thing oh well it can't be done anyway so now I don't like that no longer have to worry about it. Um, so now I don't have to do this really difficult thing. Great, you know, I'm happier, I have less work to do, right? So, um, so it's very satisfying in that way, rather than feeling uncomfortable and feeling like there's something really important that I'm at trying to achieve and it's very hard to actually get there. Um, but I think a lot of the conversations we had is that it's become popular to not only say that knowledge is hard or knowledge is impossible, but that truth is impossible and truth in fact doesn't exist right um or it exists but in this way yeah. that's like completely it's inaccessible or something. well it's just really it's not like what you thought it was um truth is something else like truth is merely the things that i internally and subjectively believe yeah so we want to collapse truth into belief but analytic philosophers at least contemporary ones right now and that's the training i have in analytic philosophy want to say no there's there's a really solid um very universal uh, you know very somewhat universally held concept of belief that's separate from the concept of truth um and it's then it's very tightly linked to the reality that objectively exists apart from our thoughts about it um and so this correspondence theory of truth says that what truth is is a relationship between what we say or believe and the way the world in fact is apart from what we think 
and when there's a nice tidy fit between what we say or think and the way the world in fact is then it, those things are true that's what truth is and I think when people hear that for the first time they're like yeah that's what I've always thought truth was that just makes sense um, but it can be hard to figure out what things inside of our own mind have that truth status and which things are not matched up to the world yeah and it is difficult but um, rather than finding it difficult and then saying it doesn't exist uh, I think it's a better approach to hold on to the fact that there is this thing called truth that does match up to reality sometimes and some of our beliefs and things that we say do count as true um, even if it's difficult even if it's hard yeah 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 it's um so then as as a Christian mm-hmm. um I would assume you could have that discussion with folks and that there would be a whole plane of like well okay maybe sure like some things are true and they're hard to access but but then you know how do you how do you have the the discussion about God with somebody um and not just God in general but but a very specific um you know, God an outworking of of uh things like what we speak about Jesus um, you, know, you know the Apostles Creed and uh, you know these sorts of, of things how do you how do you unpack that with folks because then we're getting into a whole nother realm right of, of uh, well you know is this is this logically true does it line up with the world around me resurrections and such and, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think sometimes people have wanted to put religious belief um, in a little, tight little box that belongs only in people's heads, right. only in people's minds. And so, um, be, and because of the way that they think science has just kind of monopolized knowledge, right, yeah. then that's the only way you can access anything that, that's the only way we can deal with finding out what's true and, and attaining knowledge is through modern science. So, if anything else is true, it has this other different kind of truth, right. which is like mind-only truth, right? Yeah. True for you, but not for me truth. Or like emotional truth, like it yeah. feels good, right. so thereby, right. exactly. for me, it works. So, I mean, some people do this because they're hoping to like save religious belief. Yeah. Because like they're like, oh, well, we can't have it be existing out in the world because then it clearly doesn't exist because science or something. Right. Um, so we have to save it from itself and make it, it, put it in this nice little safe place inside people's heads where it can't be disproved um, by science. I think that's a misguided approach, but um, even though sometimes if people had it, had that approach with uh, the best of intentions, because I mean, I'm not really interested in just explaining like my autobiography about like here are the things that I believe, right? Like, right. sometimes I'm interested in doing that, and sometimes I'm interested in hearing that from other people. Like, what is it that you believe? That's an interesting story. But ultimately, what I'm really interested in is whether any of those things correspond to the real world. Right. Um, that's the truth that I'm after, not what is it that you believe, but are your beliefs, are my beliefs true in the sense I've been yeah. explaining? Is there in fact a God? So one interesting question is, do you believe in God? Right. But another interesting question is, yeah. are your beliefs about God yeah. true? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, I don't know. Do you, I, I assume you get to have that conversation from time to time. Yeah, in yeah. fact, that was one of the things that really interested in me in philosophy in yeah. the first place, is because you go you can't avoid those conversations. You're forced to have them, and I, being somebody who enjoys them, loved that. Yeah. Um, the conversation about God and whether God exists and what he's like if he exists is just suffused throughout the history of philosophy. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. So you're talking about it all the time as part of your study, yeah. whether you're an atheist, a Christian, Buddhist, whatever. So it's really cool. It was very exciting. It was fun. 
So I'm. I feel like I'm like dominating the interrogation <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, I would. Well, go ahead. Or I was waiting for you know Brian to interrupt and say, "Hey, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, host, I'm hosting yeah. this show." Yeah, but I'm, I'm doing it. I'm interrupting myself. <laughs> I, I I have more questions, but please, well, guys, well, then, I, let's let's. I make was just thinking, like maybe warm. go on a theological route and talk about what we chatted about on Sunday night. Sure. In the sense that we, I kind of posed a, a conversation that happened between some people at our church. Um, in the idea of, of cessationism, which is this idea that God only speaks um, in Scripture, that like you can't hear the voice of God in a way, or you can say God said this to me, because the only place that God speaks is through those words in Scripture. Right. And and how do you have a conversation with somebody like that when you might believe that yes, I actually legitimately experienced the voice of God right and and I thought your whole picture the swimming pool and everything was oh yeah I came up with this fantastic (laughs) (laughs) metaphor on the fly I'll get to that in a sec because I mean part of your question I feel like you're actually better at it than me which is how do you have the conversation right Eric's really really good about having quality conversations with people where they feel that they can open up and truly say what they believe without feeling you know judged or dismissed um, I'm better at saying why they're wrong, which is not always <laughs> the best way to have the conversation. So here, first start off, here's why they're wrong. Okay, yeah. and, then, and then you can think about whether you should actually say any of this to anybody's face as a productive part of conversation. Um, but I think it's very similar to the, what I had said about knowledge and truth earlier, is that people find it very difficult to really get to the status of knowledge or ascertain whether a particular belief that they have about God or anything else really, whether the world exists, whether the world, right? right. Whether the trees and rocks and furniture that they're right. looking at, right. is that an accurate picture of, you know, when they see it inside their mind, does that match up with the real world outside their mind? Right. It's a really tough question to really get down. And when you read the history of philosophy, you'll find that people pointed this out. So it's not just, it's not just that God or things about religion or Christianity are uniquely difficult. But I think a lot of people have wanted to make it so. Right. They want to put it in a separate kind of category from the rest of everything else. That's hard to figure out whether it's true or not. Oh, we got to pause you right now. I feel like... Yeah, we got the train coming. The train's coming. Right. Do you have a a thought, a question? So, yeah, what do you think about that? (laughs) (laughs) For those of you that are first tuning in for the first time, uh, whenever a train goes by, that is when I get an epiphany and I am filled with wisdom, knowledge, and wonder that uh, the people that are around me here and are just uh, so bewildered and uh, amazed by the knowledge that I mic dropped uh, but unfortunately, because of the train, you do not have the privilege of uh, hearing. And I'm so sorry that uh, you were making such a wonderful point. <laughs> <laughs> and I rudely interrupted you uh, to make mine. Uh, but uh, what, what, what was your point, though? So I, I think that... Uh, <laughs> wait, 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 what was my point? Yeah. Um, I think that it's a... It's a to use a fancy philosophical word, it's an epistemological, right? Epistemological difficulty that people have. It's hard to know things. It is hard to know whether it and is. And that's what Brian was actually saying. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. That's a lot more, yeah. a lot more eloquently. It was a lot more eloquently than that. Like, I'll, I'll let you keep going. Yeah, he did use the word epistemological. I'm pretty yes. sure. Yeah. Um, so it's it's this difficulty with knowing, in fact anything but in particular with this conversation that Eric and I were talking about about whether God speaks to people kind of directly um, personally today or not it's hard to know whether God is in fact speaking to you or to anybody else Um, and it's hard to as an outsider confronted with somebody who claims that God has spoken to them to figure out whether that person is telling the truth to you or not um, or even if they think they're telling the truth to you, whether God, in fact, did speak to them. It's especially fun when you ask two people and God says One two says, different yeah, things. Exactly, right. Yeah, no, God told me to marry you. What? 
something. He yeah. didn't tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> he told me you were a creep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, personal experience. <laughs> that was actually Brian's point. <laughs> no, it was a very much more profound than that. But I, what my, what our conversation went to with Eric is that I, I think that you go about figuring out um, whether God is speaking or whether God speaks in much the same way that you do about almost anything else. Is that it requires a certain amount of trust um, in the person or people that you're talking to. And if you know that they typically don't mislead you or lie to you about all kinds of other things, and then they tell you that God told me this, right? You're confronted with a person who's genuinely trustworthy, and he tells you yet another thing that would ordinarily, if he just told you out of the blue and the only thing that you ever knew about them, would seem kind of crazy. But you have to take it seriously, because here's this person that I know and trust about all these other things that are very ordinary um, and that I've been able to kind of like verify, right? He tells me, hey, take a bite of this food. It's really tasty. And you take a bite of the food and it's really tasty. All right. I mean, that builds up trust. Um, So then when he tells you God told me something, God spoke to me, it seems maybe a little outrageous at first, but you have to take it seriously because he's given you all kinds of good food right he told you like this great hike is out there and you went and it was a great hike you know i mean like that's how you figure out whether things are true you rely on people's testimony that's been built on trust right and i liked what you had said because you used that whole swimming pool idea yes. and you were like okay well i'm in the swimming pool and and i'm telling the person hey like you should you should jump in it's like really nice here right and and you've already in that relationship with that person been trustworthy and then you're saying hey i have all this testimony from all these other people who've been in the pool and they right. are very trustworthy people right. and so we have testimony and we have my own experience right and so that's a, a really interesting way of thinking about yeah. it i guess that's a that's a you maybe to synthesize you're saying like you know, within a community of trust, you could, you could, you know, hear God better than outside of a community of trust. You, or you might, you might. Well, yeah, that, that that I think is also true. But I, I think um, Eric's initial question was, how do you come to believe that God does speak to people here today, directly, personally, um, and then how do you, in more particular, believe that? God has spoken to Eric, or God has spoken right. to Andy, right? Or God has spoken to me. How how do you come to believe that? Because Eric and I both believe that it is true that God speaks to people today, and that He has in fact spoken to us right. as individuals and as members of a church community. But there are these people, right? Call them cessationalists, who who don't who believe actively believe that God does not as a blanket statement never does that anymore um can't and won't well not can't but just doesn't right um i should say as a guy who is not a cessationist but comes from a long uh from a lot of cessationist circles a distinguished chain of cessationists there are uh there's a lot of variety there so i mean i i would say right some of, some of those folks would just say never ever but some would say okay not in the way of like the days of the prophets or the apostles or something right but yeah. anyway for, for what it's worth oh yeah 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 sorry I don't mean to be setting up a straw man um, yeah, yeah uh, so yeah in fairness to them there's a lot of wrinkles and subtleties of, of the different views but it, when when someone comes to us and says you know I don't believe that I don't believe that God speaks to you in particular, because I don't believe that God speaks to anybody. To um, right. How do you have a conversation that might move them towards changing that belief? Yeah. Um, to coming to believe that, in fact, God does speak to people, maybe because he he speaks to me, so he must speak to people, <laughs> right? Like, so at least one people, right? One person. The, um, the only, like, thing that, you know, the little hiccup I have in my mind when I'm hearing all this is like, okay, so you've got... I don't know, let's take a biblical example. Like, the man after God's own heart, David, trustworthy guy. He's always told his military commanders to do the right thing. He's been a good leader for the people of God. He tells his commander, put this guy Uriah up at the front lines. Okay, I trust you. You've been you've been a really great, godly man, trustworthy. Well, David happens to be a generally trustworthy guy who currently is in sin. And he's currently dealing with 
the, the just his fatal flaw. He's got he's struggling. He's not in a good place, and so is you know. And in this moment, a guy who's been trustworthy for so long proves untrustworthy because yeah. he's flawed. Right. And so that in in any community, you're going to bump into that reality too. So it's like taking the authority of of a of a community is good. Right. But I think you know from I've been hearing lately, and I think it's probably really true that we're we're very shaped by our community more than we think. So people who are skeptical, it's like well. You know, truth is, you know, don't don't look down on the people of faith because if you were in a community of faith, you would probably have much more faith than you than you have, and vice versa. People who are in communities of faith who look at skeptical folks and say, "Come on, how could you be?" Well, the truth is, if you were in a community of skepticism, you would probably relate to that, sure, you know, very deeply. So at some point, too, it seems like we need to we need to realize how shaped we are by our communities and sometimes say, well, perhaps truth does lie outside of our community. You know, uh, anyway, that's my little... Yeah, I mean, psychologists, sociologists love to talk about how your social environment shapes what you would be willing to believe or what you already believe, uh, what your history... It seemed like you were pointing out something like your past trauma or past abuse by people could change what you're willing to trust kinds of things um and i just the more i learn about life the more people i encounter the more deeper deeper level conversations i have with people i I just know that that's true um that people have had their trust abused right really badly you know i mean uriah gets killed by the way yeah yeah, so we didn't finish that spoiler and his wife gets exactly taken okay right right (laughs) (laughs) Right. so so what if we were were like uriah and i think a lot of people are in that position they're unwilling to trust because this one time and it only takes once right i'm just gonna get massacred by i'm gonna get slaughtered if i believe people and sometimes it's the the upstanding religious guy kills you Right, and it could be the guy who most of the time is a generally trustworthy guy. Yeah, right. and trust is risky. It really is. But I think sometimes we want to compartmentalize that to religious belief. Right, um, which really, is definitely not. When yeah. really it's true just across the board. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, me pointing that out could push you to be a much more generally <laughs> skeptical, cynical person about everything rather than just about religion. But Although that, that's not my hope. But that's that's <laughs> absolutely true, right? In, right? in families and friend groups and any kind of... I mean, you could get in the... You could join the Optimist Club, right? And, and it could happen there. Well, probably will. And one of the things that I mean, I like that we've talked a lot about is, you know, one, one of the things that I'll use with people on the street is... To deconstruct their knowing by saying, well, even though you can sit in that chair there over the last thousand times, you can't guarantee me on 1001 that you're not going to break through the chair. So your knowing is faulty, which is a, it's a horrible argument. But for somebody on the street, they're like, oh, wait a minute, like you're yeah. right, I can't know. And what you kind of introduced to me, which was very nice, is to talk to me about, well, what's reasonable to believe? Right. And I love the reasonability, and it's especially when you're talking to teenagers and young people about truth. Mm-hmm. Because truth, there's a lot of reasonable things to believe because they do line up with internal and external like reality. Like, I can say, when you sit in this chair, you're not going to fall through it. That's just a reasonable thing to say. Right. Um, and I think it's also very reasonable to say that when I sit in this chair, I know that I won't fall through it. Right. Um, but knowledge we've we've sometimes wanted to hold held up hold up a concept or definition of knowledge that requires absolute 100% unassailable certainty that it sure. couldn't some you can only know things that couldn't possibly be not true right like right. You, you can't fail to have something be true but there's a there's a position in epistemology and in, in philosophy that uh, called fallibilism which, which says that you can believe something that is true without 100% certainty and have that count as knowledge. Um, and it's risky, right? It's, you could be, you're fallible. You could be wrong, right? You could believe something that you could be wrong about, but when you're not wrong, it counts as knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so you can believe all kinds of things reasonably, and if those, and if those things are true, then you know them. And it could turn out to be the case that they're not true, which, you know, 
is that risk is that fallible part of belief is that belief a belief about most of the most of the things that we believe we could be wrong about but I also want to say that most of the things that we believe we probably are right about and therefore count as knowledge now from the the I can I can imagine conversations I've had with other folks where I think getting along with all of this and the stuff that's like yeah, like by and large, the chair is always there, and so I can believe in that. Mm-hmm. But then they would go, "Look, okay, as a Christian, though, you're not just giving me chairs to sit in; you're giving me, you know, God in the flesh, resurrected from the dead. That's unreasonable." Right. And they would be absolutely correct. Like, as far as like, in in my mind, like I would I would go ahead and say like, yeah, if you're just if you're just doing logic and reason and look around at the way things work, then then sure, unreasonable. It would you how. But you might say it differently. How yeah, would you, I don't, how I don't do you... know if it's actually a thing about logic and reasons so much as a, as a, um, a demand for evidence. So logic and reason are always things that, like, I, I think of them more uh, as capacities that, that humans have. Like, sure. we have a capacity for logic and a capacity for reason. They're kind of tools that our mind has. Um, but we operate on the things that we take in, the experiences we have. And we, in order to believe something that seems kind of risky, like we want more of the experiences that corroborate what's being said. Uh, so, like, you want me to, to ride in that, you know, junker of a car, Eric? Like, can you, t- can you, I need some more evidence, right? Well, you sold it to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I need some more evidence. Which, this car which is me not gonna, selling right? it to him yeah. is probably it's not like, enough evidence. I, I might need to ask him several <laughs> times, are you sure this seatbelt works like it's supposed to, you know? Are, are you sure that this car has gotten you from A to B before? And Eric right. tells you he's sure, but, but is he correct? Right, right. Well, well, so, I mean, right. <laughs> So we want that about things that seem more risky or uh, that have much more the possibility of more catastrophic consequences. And so I think for for a lot of people, and maybe they're exactly right, um, religious belief is like that. Like, if this is true, I'm going to have to change everything. Like, I'm going to have to change my entire life. My entire approach to everything has to change if this is true. So. You can't just tell me this and I'll be like, well, you know, like 51% confidence that it might be true. Okay, cool. I'll change oh, my yeah. entire life for that. You know, like, no, I want I want something more approaching certainty before I'm willing to drastically change, right? Give up all of the things that my life is about right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't, I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a reformed guy, and for those of you in Japan, that's a whole other long discussion <laughs> we could have, you know. But, um, you know, I, I really view, like, I, you know, I view my faith as having reasons, but I view it as being very much, you know, something that, that God has done within me. Because I think about, you know, if somebody came up to me, and I'm just... You know, like Eric said, Eric comes to me on the streets, which we all know. But when Eric says on the streets, he means out to coffee somewhere. It's, this, maybe <laughs> yes, I in a coffee shop is usually yeah, what that's he means. What he yeah. means by on the well, street. On the street yeah. But but when he uh, it's too hot outside to be on the street. You know, but I'm I'm just I'm just living my life. I you know not particularly religious, and, and he comes up to me and says, "Hey, you know, here's a, here's a God I want you to consider. You know, you can have certainty. You can have the certainty you'd have sitting on this chair." Here's what here's what we believe, you know. Apostles' Creed died, buried, rose from the dead. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be going. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm gonna change. I don't think I'm gonna reshape my whole life around this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm just if I'm just looking at logic and reason, I'm gonna go. So I'm gonna I'm gonna completely entrust myself to live according to the you know, the pattern that this God would have for me just based on the fact that, that he came in the flesh and rose from the dead, which I think is a very unlikely thing. I don't think I'd do it. Yeah. Um, I, you I, know, I, I do it, but I guess I'm saying like, I, I believe that I'm, that my belief on that didn't come from just looking around and finding it reasonable. It's, it seems right. much more, um, spiritual than that you will i don't know yeah fair enough and and i think philosophers more recently um have at least in the tradition that i've been taught in have been coming around to the idea that lots of beliefs just kind of pop out of nowhere or they pop out of 
being raised in a certain situation or um, the environment that you're in. Um, and I think for a long time, the history of philosophy, for at least the last few hundred years, has looked down upon that right. as as something that's like somehow unsavory, you know, like, ooh, you know, like, that's kind of... You didn't think Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, you in and of your own self did not create this belief and give it permission to live in your head, you know, like it just, it just appeared there oh my gosh, you know, and like you have to take every belief that appears in your head as, you know, dirty and guilty until you're able to ascertain whether it's uh, acceptable and innocent, right, um but I kind of want to try to challenge people to flip that upside down and be like, well, go ahead and keep those beliefs that are in your mind until you find out they're false rather than the other way around. It's kind of like an innocent till proven guilty kind of view of belief rather than, um, rather than getting rid of every belief until you're able to figure out the absolute certainty of its truth. Um, but I don't, so for, I, I still don't know, just to rephrase my point, if it's a matter of logic and reason, but about whether people believe things that are costly or not, because if it doesn't cost me very much, I'm perfectly willing to believe something, right? You tell me, right. oh, over in Japan right now, there's a bunch of people listening yeah. to this podcast, right? Like, And you believe me, it doesn't you have no co- evidence. It doesn't yeah. cost me anything to believe that. Sure. So I'm perfectly willing to take it just on your word right. that there are. Right, I don't. You don't. You don't need to show me like the visitor logs or the you know the analytics of Eric will show you. The, I know, I know. Eric's really, really <laughs> into that, by the way. But I don't. What I'm saying is that I can believe that, and I do believe that almost automatically prior to getting any more of that additional corroborating evidence. Why? Because it doesn't cost me anything to believe that. So it's not a matter of logic and evidence. If it was just that then 51% confidence, right? That's better than, than half, and right? It's right. better than 50-50, that it's true. So if it's a little more likely inside my mind to be true than false, then I should believe it. Done, right? I believe in God, I believe in the resurrection, right? But it's the costliness of it. We're risk-averse. We don't want to give up things that we value, right? We, we can kind of, even if we haven't have played it all out and figured it all out, we can kind of like intuitively see that that way is gonna is gonna cost me stuff that I personally want to hang on to, right? Yeah. What about? Um, so I'm curious. I, one way that I've I've come to approach philosophy in general. And I don't know about. I know there's a lot of different ways of being oh, trained, sure. and, and I have <laughs> I am not trained. Like so, but one way is to say like a philosophical system is tested based on its ability to answer all the questions. Mm-hmm. Right, and so um, that's like when I've approached a Christian philosophy, I've I've believed like I this is this is I, I'm exercising faith and I'm trusting in something. But then the way that I work out the rationale of it is I take the system, and so I would be saying I'm taking the the God of the Scriptures and what He's revealed to us in the Scriptures, and I'm asking, does this answer all the philosophical questions and create a coherent system? And I believe it makes a very strong philosophical system. Whereas, you know, a lot of the other approaches or axioms or beginning points fall apart as they go as they go down the line. Um, yeah, how do you? How are you trained? How do you think about? This yeah. Thing? So one of the one of the principles of logic um, is that in order for something to be truth, just as a a necessary condition, it's not sufficient for it to be true. But it, it, it at least has to have consistency yeah. to have an internal coherence. Because if it's internally coher- incoherent, uh, then you know at least one of the things that's in your system is false. Right. Um, but and, and by your system, you're like, that's saying you're going all the way back to perhaps your, your very premise, your starting point could be flawed. Yeah, right? your, total, your total aggregate all your beliefs... Put them all together in one big package. Yeah. String them together with nice little logical connectives of all kinds. Okay, and uh, yeah, that's your system. And uh, so, one thing that can be nice about it is it, it fits together, and all the pieces, you know, like get along with each other and don't argue with each other very much, or uh, you know, not particularly loudly, or they don't have knives out against each other. Right? So that's one good thing that could be a, for a system. It, but another thing, it sounded like you were kind of hinting at that might be good. It, 
that you want out of your system is that when you apply it to the world that you experience on an everyday basis, uh, it makes sense of it. Yeah. It maybe predicts things novelly that uh, <laughs> yes. you wouldn't have predicted if you didn't have the system. And then lo and behold, that that actually happened. Wow, you know, like confirmation that the system right. is true. And so that's a big part of what we want for truth is not mere coherence. Oh, right. Like you could have a perfectly insane person who has a great little system that's very self uh, <laughs> cohering <coughs> has no correspondence to reality. Right. Um, so yeah, mere coherence is, is great. Like, don't get me wrong. That's hard to achieve with any belief system, Yeah. but it's merely a necessary condition for truth. Um, what we really want, even more than coherence, is for, like, say, a large part of our total beliefs to correspond to reality. Like, I would rather have, like, say, 60% of my beliefs correspond to reality and the other 40% not than to have, like, 100% of my beliefs fit nicely together and play along with each other very nicely and have no correspondence to reality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that's... Um yeah, cool. Thanks for saying that, Brian, our host. What? Well, what uh, I was. I had a couple questions, and I'm really looking forward to having you again so we can ask those questions. <laughs> All but right. Considering the fact that it takes a certain amount of time to upload this to the file to where Eric Seepin, Pastor Eric Seepin, can access it, and you have an appointment uh, in about 13 minutes, 12 minutes, uh, I am going to uh, cut this off and look forward to next time. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Today. I really appreciate it. And thank you both, of course, for joining us, <laughs> joining me on my podcast, because I'm the host and it's mine. Uh, this has been Faith Over Breakfast. We meet at Exo Coffee, and we always have a great time at having breakfast and having delightful conversations. Join us next week. 